Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome today to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Wednesday edition. As you know, I broadcast weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's Monday to Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And, of course, for more ways to listen to the program, including the great customized apps, that's for all smart devices. That's iPhone, Android. We're getting a lot of great feedback on those apps, too, by the way. Or for those of you on the go, you can download the podcast. And the live daily shows in MixLR have a chat. How do you find all that information out? Simply go to the listen page there at weekendvigilante.com. And when you're at the webpage, look up on that pink bar to the right. You'll see all my social media icons there. Like me on Facebook. That's the Weekend Vigilante Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter. And especially subscribe. If you are listening to my voice, subscribe to my YouTube channel. And why should you do that? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to be doing some great stuff coming out of the shoot in 2017, including video blogs. And we are going to be doing a lot of stuff for our YouTube subscribers in the future. In addition to drawing, 25 people are going to get a signed copy of either Green Gospel or Power Prayers. They get to decide which book they want. And this random software actually selects it. We've posted that there on Facebook. It's a direct link. It's got nothing to do with me. That's personally signed to you. So I'm looking forward to giving those out. And last but not least, make sure you're signed up for the free e-newsletter that is coming out tomorrow. And the only reason it's taken this long is I was trying to figure out if my web team finally came up with a plan for this map idea. I've been kind of throwing around in my head an idea. I actually kind of started from going to the Whitestone Remnant Conference in 2014. It was really cool. They had people come up put their information on these maps in the conference rooms. And all those people that attended the conference were able to connect with boots on the ground people that also lived in their area. So it was really cool. So those thousand people plus got to meet people. But what about the thousands out there in radio listening land? Well, I want to connect the end time saints. When I left Montana, I actually bought Remnant Roundup I bought the domain for the purpose of gathering the end time saints, but gathering up all the end time saints just didn't have quite the same ring to it. Despite a lady telling me, why'd you pick a cowboy name with Roundup? Well, anyway, you get the idea. I'm trying to connect prayer partners, people for home churches, just trying to connect like-minded people. That's been a chore. So in the newsletter, 
I'm going to discuss an idea I have until I do get this project developed. And as I said on my program yesterday, according to my web team, for them to go and build this software with this mapping information so people can insert their data, it's expensive and it's really time consuming. And it just is something right now that is not going to be possible. And if anybody has any ideas, I'm really open to it. Trust me. So yeah, do make sure that you today, right now, while you're listening, if you haven't, sign up for that free e-newsletter. It is just a really great way for me to apprise you, the listener, on what is going on. Well, I want to jump right into the show. Today on the program is my good friend, Mark Sellers. He is a Colorado guy, but he was an Alliance Church pastor up in New York. I had a little experience with the Alliance Church. (laughs) I'll have to get into that. I just thought it would be amazing for him to share what God's been putting on his heart. And Lord knows we could use some encouragement. Mark Sellers, my friend, welcome to the program. It is a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Sheila. It's a privilege and honor to be here. Share the Word of God with you today. Well, let's. I want to start off with your a little bit of background because it's really funny. I have to tell you this story. Speaking of the Alliance Church, I actually got asked by the leadership of an Alliance Church if I would mind leaving the church instead of them saying, Sheila, we're kicking you out. They asked me, before we kick you out, we're giving you an option to leave. You got to love that, huh? <laughs> yeah, you do. It was nice of them, I guess, in a way to to give you the option to walk out the door before they throw you out the door. <laughs> but um, I'm not surprised, Sheila. My background, my experience has been very similar with the uh, what I call the matrix church, the big box churches and the denominations of men. I'm, I'm not surprised. Well, you said the word big box churches. Boy, you touched on something there. You know, one of the things I noticed that churches do, speaking of big box, they certainly do put God in a box, don't they? Uh, they do, Absolutely. As I'm fond of saying, as I've shared with you before, God actively refuses. He fights hard to be put into a box. There's no box big enough for for our God. And I understand as humans, we have a need. We have a need to understand. We have a need to some degree control our world to make it quote-unquote manageable. But God's management system for our walking through daily living is completely different than what we have been indoctrinated with from the matrix, from the world system. God's standard is we walk by faith, not by sight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 declares to us that we cannot, we must not lean on our own understanding. Exactly. We must in all ways acknowledge him. And all means all there. It, it, it doesn't mean partially. It doesn't mean the things that we can understand. It doesn't mean what science proves or anything. It means all. And when we do that, then God is able to operate through our lives, and we gain his perspective. We gain his worldview. There's a really neat passage in Psalm 73, which is a psalm that I identified with many times over the years, because Asaph, the writer, we don't know, I don't think it was his name of the writer, is a role in the courts there, in in the temple there, the Asaph, and he's having a pity party, and he's, (laughs) you know, moaning and and groaning and saying, everybody's, you know, thriving. Look at all the sinners with the big houses and all the big fat paychecks and all the big planes and all that. And look at me, you know, in vain have I kept the word of God, the commands. And and you go about two thirds through that passage and then you see the lights begin to go on. Why? 
because he entered the counsel of God. He entered God's sanctuary, and he began to see life from God's point of view. He gained God's perspective. And then he understood. The, the, the writer says, then I understand their end. Their end will be in destruction. And those who keep the law of God, who keep the word of God, our end will be in life. It ties directly into John 10, the teaching there of Jesus. And so when we don't have that perspective of God, when we're not, for whatever reason, we're not willing to put in the time and the effort or whatever to go into the sanctuary of God, which is open to all of us as believers of Christ, right? The, the door has been open. Jesus has opened that access. Paul says we come in boldly to the throne of grace. Mm. It's there and then that we can gain God's understanding. The Proverbs are full, full of commands. They're not option. They're, they're not, you know, jeepers. If you feel like doing this, why don't you? <laughs> no, they're commands to seek wisdom, to seek and pursue understanding. And God will give that freely to us. In fact, the writer of Proverbs says that we are to pursue that more than silver and gold. You know, people out there, you know, buy gold, buy silver today before the economy collapses. And But where are those who are buying God's wisdom and understanding? And it's also, you know, Isaiah 11, it's one of the seven spirits of God, right? The spirit of wisdom and understanding. And so we need that. We need that. All of that to say, Sheila, amen to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We need that in our life because otherwise there's no way of navigating this matrix world system. It's impossible to make heads or tails out of any of it. There's times I've struggled with that. You know, it says there in verse three, for I envied the arrogance and the prosperity of the wicked. They don't have any struggles. They don't have any, their bodies are healthy and strong and they're not plagued by the human ills, right? And they wear pride as a necklace and it goes on and on. And I think all of us have had those moments, Mark, including myself. I'm kind of like, really? You know, we look at these people and it says their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. But then when you really think that the wicked are free of care, think again, right, Mark? Amen. There is no freedom in the wicked. There is no freedom. Paul lays it out very, very clearly. Jesus himself said it very clearly that we are a slave to someone or something. We all ha have a throne. I have a, I have a friend, I a disciple uh, weekly, and, and he's very fond of saying, you know, the throne of our life is, is not a love seat. It's a one-seat one throne. Something is always on our throne. There is always someone giving us marching orders. There is always someone to whom we are bowing in worship to whom we are yielding, to whom we are acquiescing and submitting our lives. Now, we know, as believers, the only true one worthy of that spot, that position, is Jesus Christ himself, is the Lord God Almighty, Elohim, our Creator. However, in the matrix of the world system that has been usurped since the fall of the Garden, you know, now right is wrong, and black is white, and up is down, and in is out, everybody on this planet everybody's a slave to someone. You know, as you read through John chapter 8, you, you find this fascinating discussion that Jesus is having with the Pharisees, and they're clamoring, and they're, and they're digging their heels. I could just see them arguing and, and puffing their chests out <laughs> and raising their nose in the air, saying, you know, we're not slaves to anybody. We are free men. And, and that's not reality at all. That's a lie, because all of us are serving someone or something, and that's the truth. That's the reality. And Jesus has come. God has sent his son 
to provide a way for us with his power, that dunamis dynamite power of the Holy Spirit that is alive, indwelling, and imbued in our lives as believers on Jesus Christ to kick off that thing on the throne. Now, it may take a pry bar. It may take a cutting torch. It may take a stick of dynamite to get that old thing off the throne. But with Christ's power and life in us, we can do that. And then we invite Christ onto our throne and we put him as the Lord. That's what those words mean, literally. The Lord is the one, what? It's the one whom I serve. It's the one before whom I bow my knee. It's the one whom before I come with my gift. Now, that's not a word we use much anymore in, in our world today. Rightly so, on purpose. The matrix doesn't want us to be thinking in those terms. They want to be like the Pharisees. They want us to think we're free. We're going to serve somebody. You know, it's the old, I'm a musician. I've I've played bass guitar for 40 years now or so in many, many different venues and types of music. And that old Bob Dylan song is correct. You know, we're going to serve somebody. Yeah. And we do. Yeah, we do. We serve all sorts of idols. And a lot of times you don't even know we're serving them. And we need to get that stripped off. You know, God gave me this visual. My uncle is an auto body man, and I grew up in a family of racing when they were stripping cars down, removing the paint, they had all these various different ways to strip that off, whether it's, you know, chemical or mechanical or sandblasting, whatever. In the same sense, we kind of need a Holy Ghost sandblasting, really, to remove all the layers of junk. Amen. That's exactly right. Yes, we as believers, I mean, read through the Bible the, the first time. And God opens your eyes and you, you ask yourself that question, is there, is there any truth? Is, is there anything true from the matrix? No, there isn't. My, my wife and I were sharing this morning as we we're reading the Bible together and praying. The image came to my mind and we have these droppers, these little things, you know, to dispense solution, little droppers, little pipette droppers. There's not one drop of anything good out of the matrix, out of the yeah. world system that is first round five declares the whole world lies under dominion of who the evil one, you know, since that fall, that usurping has happened. And now there is no truth. John 10, Jesus himself said, the enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy. I don't know about you, but I don't want even one drop of killing. I don't want one drop of stealing. I don't want one drop of destruction. And there is no good thing out of the matrix, nothing. And what God has shown me as you, you shared earlier, my, my background being part of the, the Matrix Church is that I have to relearn. I have to go back to God and submit to Him. There are many passages in the Scripture that use the analogy, the metaphor, the picture of the clay. And that clay, just like you were saying about your uncle in, in the, the, the auto bodies, when I used to build hot rods many years ago, we would take and we'd tear everything down till we got to the bare metal frame. And even then, sometimes we would just start with a new frame. It was so, so bad. I'm from Western New York and everything rusted in the winter because it's salt. (laughs) And so we would, we would just tear the thing down, sandblast it if we could, or we would just start with a whole new frame. And God in our spiritual lives, God is saying, "I, I need you to find my core truth. And it's in my word. We have in the matrix we have thrown many babies out with the bathwater. There are many babies, figuratively, metaphorically, spiritually speaking, there are 
all of the core nuggets of truth that God has ordained and, and, and upon which he has built this world and his system, we have to go find those because they've been usurped. We have been indoctrinated time and time and time again in error and falsehoods and lies and deceptions. You talked about idols. You know, growing up, I was always taught that an idol is anything to which we go in order to get that which we should get from God. And so we have all of these idols. And, and as the scripture says, they're deaf, they're dumb. They're made by man's hands. They cannot give us anything other than death, destruction, and stealing. Uh, a while ago, the, the Lord gave me this great picture. One day I was praying and just spending some time with him. And he showed me this, this purse. It's going to sound really weird. But, but there was an old cartoon. This will kind of date me here, but called Felix the Cat. Oh, yeah. Felix the cat, the wonderful, wonderful cat, right? He reaches into his bag of tricks and he had this little bag and that was the bag of all things that God gave me this, the Holy Spirit put in my mind, this picture, this image of this bag. And it was the bag of the enemy. And he was showing me the enemy's purse. And do you know what's in the enemy's purse? Nothing but death, stealing and destruction. There's no good thing. He cannot pay in any other currency than death, stealing, and destruction. And that's what the matrix offers today. And so we have to, as believers in Christ, we have to get back on to the pottery wheel. I'm going to switch metaphors from the, from the car now to the biblical one of the clay. And I need to yield myself. That's why we talked earlier a few minutes ago about the throne. I always go back to the throne because honestly, Sheila, Everybody on this planet born that ever lived has a throne, and that's the pottery wheel. And we put ourselves as clay before whoever's on that throne. And my desire as a believer in Christ, as a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life for me so that I could have life and be back in that relationship with him that was ordained by God and exhibited in the garden. That's God's desire, to, to bring us back. That's, he didn't want to throw us out. He didn't want to do all that stuff. But those are the choices that we made. And now I am saying, I will put myself as clay back on the pottery wheel. Lord, you form me. You bring out the cutting torch. You bring out the sander. You bring out whatever tool you need to shape me, and I will do my part in searching your word and putting your truth into my life, replacing the lie from the matrix with the truth of God, walking in obedience to your commands, because as the word says, they are good. As Psalm 119 says, I encourage your listeners, maybe spend this week in Psalm 119. I know there are a lot of verses in there. There are a lot. But pick a section, because it almost always repeats itself and says the same thing, that God's commands are good. They're life. They are for our benefit. Because, as it says in First John, God is love. And what is love, Sheila? It's doing what's best for the beloved. Who's the beloved? You and I. That's right. And I think that pottery wheel is a very good example. The clay. we got to get back to being molded, being formed and fashioned the way God wants us to be instead of our plans. Because I think, Mark, and we've talked about this before, we always want to rubber stamp God's plans. What's God's plans for my life? 
And I've jokingly said, hey, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> Jeremiah 29 11 tells us that he knows the plans that he has for us. But I think we get in this groove where we just want God to rubber stamp some plans. Show me what's going on. And I get a lot of emails about that. I don't know what God's plan for my life is, Sheila. And Mark, I really empathize with that. It is sometimes very hard to figure out where exactly God is steering the boat. Are we on the right path? How can believers know that they are on the right path, Mark? Mm, That's a good question, Sheila. It's not an easy thing to come out of the matrix. The truth of God is simple. And I just want to encourage all your listeners, if there is complexity, uh, it's probably from man. It is probably from the matrix system. The complexity in in denominations, in church life, in the big box churches, in the matrix institutions uh, are phenomenal. But God is very simple, and his word is very clear. The problem is that we have this thing called self, and we have this indoctrination, and we have all of these quote-unquote teachings that we're carrying around, that, that we're holding on to, because we like parts of them. As you were saying that, you know, the rubber stamping, we, we, we like to come to God, even, even we'll claim, you know, okay, you know, I'm a, I'm a prayer warrior. I'm, I'm praying six hours a day, whatever, there's some kind of new campaign where everybody prays, reads this book and prays for an hour a night. And, and in essence, what we do is we bring our little, little list to God, a grocery shopping list, and, and, and we ask God to rubber stamp it. But the reality is that it comes down to understanding who God is. The people in Jesus' time, when he walked the earth, they had the same problem. They had the same question. I, I believe that all through history, since Adam and Eve, man has had that exact same question, and you see glimpses of it in the Old Testament, and you see it in the New Testament. In fact, it's recorded in the New Testament. People came to Jesus and said, what must we do the works of God to believe? What, what must we do? And he said something very, very simple. Believe on the one he has sent. And in the Great Commission, right, Matthew 28, Jesus reiterated he, the last command he gave to his followers, what is, the, is the, as you are going, right? It's go, but the literally meaning is as you are going, right? And through the world, make disciples. It ends with this phrase that most people drop off, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so, Sheila, the, the answer to that question is to seek God simply and earnestly and be willing why we talked about clay a few minutes ago. Be willing to be clay that will yet again be supple. Be willing to go back onto that pottery wheel and say, God, this is what I had to do. I spent years in the matrix. I spent years teaching people small group principles, church growth principles, how to run youth groups. I was trained in all of these man techniques. I go around and teach sun life principles and all these other doctrines of men and I had to throw it all out. Boy, that sounds familiar. It sounds like Paul. I'm not comparing myself to Paul. I'm just saying Paul had to go through the same process. Everybody who comes to Christ has to go through this process. It's like a process of decontamination, spiritually speaking. <laughs> and we, we come to God with humility because the Word says what? It says, you will find me when. There's an if and there's a then. If you will seek me with your whole heart. We, we can't come with our, our desire to rubber stamp plans. We can't come with our 
preconceived notions and ideas. We can't come, we t- started this discussion with boxes. We can't come with, with God in a box. Now, if all, listener, friend, brother, sister, if all you know is the God that's in your box, okay. But be willing to let God out of the box. Be willing to say, God, you're telling me somehow that I need to open this box. I'm going to open this box by faith, and I'm going to let you show me what you want from me. And Sheila, I'll tell you, when when people do that, when we do that, God always responds. God is a responder. We look in the Word. Go to Deuteronomy 28. We we love to talk about the promises of God, but but God is a responder. He he's there's an if and there's a then. God Himself said in the garden, "Look, guys, here you go. You've got all the stuff here, but there's one thing you got to do. There's one thing you need to obey. This one command, one command, Sheila, just one." And God had to kick him out of the garden. What was that? That was the response to the choice that Adam and Eve made. There are many people teaching today that God doesn't respond. No, that's wrong. He is a responder. And my friends, my brothers and sisters, you come to God with the simple faith of a child. And you say, look, I don't want any more of this indoctrination anymore. I don't even know which ends up. It's okay. Be honest with God. And he will show you, just as Jesus said, to the people of his time, believe on the one he has sent. And start there. That is a good place to start. You know, Mark, one time I was working for Environment and they sent me on this gold mine. It was a big project. They were wanting to build this open pit copper mine. And I remember when I went on this tour, these metallurgists, these guys were actually showing me how they smelt gold. You know, the process that gold goes through from the time it comes out of the ground. Let me tell you, it's not the same gold you see in a jewelry store rack where there's gold rings. Trust me. They go through intense heating and galvanization. And even the point of what they heat it up to is like Calvin or something. It's just insane what this raw material goes through out of the ground. And as I was watching this, because the guy told me, yeah, the dross is the unusable part of the gold. We get rid of it because we can't use it. And what God showed me there is there are parts of us that God cannot use. Parts of us interfere with what God is trying to use us for. So we really have to be, and this ties back into the being malleable again, we need to let God remove that dross, that unusable part that he cannot use. Amen. Amen. You know, there's, a, there's a passage in Malachi 3, verse 3, that talks about God being the refiner and the purifier of silver. And we know that in the New Testament as well, it talks many times about that, that refining process. As we look at the life of the disciples, the the first disciples of Christ, we look at Paul's life, we look through history to see how their lives ended and how they lived their lives and, and, and the unpleasant events, the experiences, the torture, the, the punishment. As Paul himself Listen, in Philippians, he, you know, uh, he gives his, his, what I call his, you know, his, his great credential list of why, you know, people should respect and hire him. You know, a modern <laughs> church today would look at all that. And he, he does this wonderful move where he throws it all out. He says, look, that's all rubbish. That's all done. But he, he talks about that, right? He's been shipwrecked. He's been persecuted. He's been downtrodden. He's, all of these events happen to him. That's the refining that God does. In Jesus himself, we look at, we don't even have to look at Paul. We can just, just look at his life. 
and, and, and what he did, you know, he had no place to lay his head. He had no place to call home. He, he was the epitome, the example. He is the very life of God incarnate in flesh form, walking on this planet that he created as our example. And it's hard, Sheila, it's, it's hard. It is not pleasant. It doesn't feel good to have big spikes pounded through your body. It is not fun to be as, as Nero did, to be lit up on fire, put up on a post to be the lamppost for the streets under Nero. It is not fun to be fed to lions. It is not fun to be sought into. It doesn't feel good to our flesh. But you know what the reality is? It's not our flesh that counts. Jesus himself said in John 15, the flesh counts for nothing. You, you, you can't do anything. Your flesh isn't going to do anything. It doesn't matter to God in that way. And there's a really weird, God shows me things in a weird way. There are these little dental flossers, these little things. You go to the grocery store or whatever, and you buy them for, you know, buck or so, a couple of dollars. They're these little throwaway dental flossers, right? Well, one day I was asking the Lord about this kind of idea, saying, God, how does this work? How come it seems like there is so much, so much malady, so much affliction, so much of this stuff in, in the physical form? I understand the world you serve. I understand the, the, the demonic realm and all of these things that, that come into play. But it seems to me that as I read your word, you have a higher view. You have a bigger picture in mind than, than my fleshly comfort. And he gave me this picture of the little dental flosser. And he said, how much do you think they spend in R&D on producing those little flossers? And I'm like, I have no idea, but I know it's not much because how long they've been making dental flossers, the design hasn't really changed. They haven't put a lot of investment into them. They just stamp them out, produce them. You know, they're not going to put $8 billion into R&D to refine this. God said, look, I'm not pouring $8 billion into R&D to refine your flesh because it's not the flesh I care about. It's inside of you. It's the spirit that I created and put in you that I care about. And that is not a pleasant message today, sister. That is not a message that's taught everywhere today. There are maladies. There is suffering. There's all of this stuff that goes with living on a fallen planet. The earth itself is groaning, Paul says. My, my kids and I were talking one day, what's it going to be like? I asked the question, what's it going to be like when Christ comes back and reigns? And they're like, oh, you know, this or that or the other thing. And I said, well, what about, what about the deserts? Oh, yeah, they're not going to be there anymore. Exactly. Do you understand what that means? Think about that for a few days. Wow. Even the deserts will be gone when Christ comes back. Why? Because all of creation will be restored back to its beautiful original condition. It'll be back in the garden. Well, I don't believe there was a desert in the garden. I don't believe there was any water shortage then. I don't believe there was any shortage of anything because God is all sufficient. But back to the flosser, what am I saying? God is saying, look, that's not what I'm investing in. That's not what I'm interested in as my highest priority. He is interested, yes. And he's provided everything. First Peter 2.24, for example. God is taking care of all of those things. But that's not his utmost purpose, because it's not this flesh that's going to be residing with him in eternity, is it? We get a new body. We're going to throw the dental flosser away. Wait, so you mean we're really not going to invest that $8 million into R&D? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. Now the enemy will. 
in the matrix is that you, you've covered it well in your headlines and your news, right? We've got transhumanism. We've got all these goofball plans of the enemy out there to, to reincarnate and transcend and do all this stuff. And back to the what's in the enemy's purse, what's in Felix's bag, the enemy, death, destruction, and thievery. They're never going to get what they're promised to get. God's not interested in that because he's got waiting in the wings for us. He's got new bodies. He's got a whole new thing set up for us the way it's originally set up in the garden. And if it weren't for that choice that we made way back when to sin, we wouldn't be in this mess that we're in to begin with. And so back to the question you asked, Sheila, to the listeners, to the people who are struggling with it. Yes, it's a struggle. Read the word. You'll see Christ identifies with that. In fact, Paul said, when is Christ made strong? It's in our weakness. You see, God knows, and God is sufficient for that. Mm. He is sufficient for that weakness. It, it's a weakness that God knows about. He didn't goof. This isn't the Gnostic God that we're serving, right? That's who's being propagated today, as John, John Terrell teaches and writes in his wonderful booklets about the, the Kabbalists and, and all of that. It ties back to that Gnosticism. It ties back to that lie that Lucifer spewed in heaven when he recruited his, his fallen minions and they were kicked out of heaven. Gee, that sounds familiar. Kicked out of heaven, kicked out of the garden. It's not the Gnostic. God is not this evil bad guy out there. He is a good God. He has done everything that he has done in order to bring us back into unity with himself as we were in the garden. There's that old, old hymn. I come from a musical family, musical background. My family and I would travel around Western New York in little churches that no one ever heard of before singing on weekends. And that old song, In the Garden, you know, that's what makes it a great old song. It's not the melody. It's the truth of the words that there's a communion. There is a literal oneness. That's why we have the picture of man and wife in marriage united as one flesh, because we are one with God. As we come back to him through the sacrifice, the perfect atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, we are made one back with God. And all of that separation, all of that death, death is the absence of life. God is life. Death is the absence of God. When we're separated, we are reckoned and rendered and considered to be dead because by definition, we have no life in us. That is undone when we come to God. That's why he has sent his son. That's why he doesn't care about the flesh because the flesh counts for nothing because it's the flesh that got us in the boat we're in and it causes all the problems. Romans 6.11, Paul makes it very clear. Reckon yourself, therefore, dead to sin, but alive to Christ. That's it. When we come to Christ, we put on a uniform. And on the back of that uniform, is a bullseye. On the front of that uniform, it says disciple or, you know, property of Jesus Christ or <laughs> follower of God. That's the reality. Now, unfortunately, the matrix doesn't always offer it that way, but that's the reality. The reality is when we come to Christ, we are now on the enemy's radar, pure and simple. And I myself have struggled with that. Paul mentions in Romans 7, he talks about this. He teaches on this very struggle. Again, God is sufficient 
God's word is sufficient. God knows the struggles uh, that are present in this fallen world in which we live. He knows all about our flesh. He knows about our five senses. He knows about those gates, those the portals, those entry areas where the enemies come in and, and the demons come in and attack us and they, they deceive us and they lure us with those little dangling carrots in front of us. As John says, the lust yeah. of the flesh, the lust of the eye and the pride of life. It, those are the, the three core things. Paul mentions in Romans chapter seven, he talks about this very thing. He says, find myself not doing what I want to do. And I find myself doing what I don't want to do. And right towards the end, he says in verse 21, I find that a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members. Here's the war. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And what Paul is describing there in verse 24 of chapter 7 is in the Roman times, the Romans were masters of torture. They had a torture. They had a death sentence that was just beyond reason and imagination. They would tie a dead body to your body. And that dead body was bound with cords around your body until the decomposition from that dead body would consume you and you would die a very, very slow, painful, wretched death. And the law said you cannot cut the cords of that dead body off of somebody or they'll do that to you. That's the word that Paul is using there in verse 24. Who shall deliver me? Who will cut the cords away? Who's going to separate me from this dead body, this rotting, stinking flesh, this carcass that I'm faced with day in and day out? It's Christ, he says in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has cut those cords of that stinking, rotting carcass flesh And with the power of God, the power of his Holy Spirit, the life of Christ that is in us today as believers, if we have truly repented, we have truly received the the gift of salvation through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, Lord God Almighty, then we have that power within us. And that power can be exerted on to those cords, cut away, the dead body falls away, and we are free. That's why it goes on. Romans 8, there is now therefore what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And we know that in Christ Jesus ties back to that unity we talked about, the husband-wife oneness with, with God. And it also talks about positionally where we are according to Ephesians, that we are seated with Christ above all rulerships, powers, principalities, and authorities. We have all of his dominion. We have all of his exousia, authority. We have all of his dunamis, dynamite power. And Paul says something very interesting in Philippians 3. And he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And that power of his resurrection is the word kratos in the Greek. It's the word that describes a power that is exerted onto an object. If I were to come and and you were tied with cords to a dead body, and I pulled out a big knife, I would exert force upon those cords and cut them. That's the kratos power. But my brothers and sisters, 
I'm telling you that God has the power to set you free. What is it? Is there a hurt? Is there a need? What is it that I have made this idol on my throne? And with your power now, Lord God Almighty, I am asking you to help me dethrone this thing and invite you on the throne so that I will be a proper priest of my temple and not allow an impure goat, an impure sheep, an impure sacrifice into the temple of God. I will respect it and treat it not from legalism. I grew up in legalism in Western New York. Legalism thrives over there. I think it was founded up there. Boy, legalism runs rampant. It's not legalism. And now I am in a love relationship with my Lord God and Savior, and I desire to do His will. I desire to yield in submission to Him. When I understand all that He's done for me according to the Word, and I appropriate that and accept that in my life by faith, I am then able to say no to some things, and I'm able to say yes to God. And there is a power that is available in the Holy Spirit. There is life that is available. There is uh, uh, hope that is available. There is help that is available to whatever it is. Maybe it's another drink. Maybe it's a, a lustful thought. Whatever it is that you are in bondage to, that you are serving, there's a reason that that thing is on the throne. And the Holy Spirit will show you, and then he will empower you. That's the beauty of who God is. You know, I want the God who's big enough and powerful enough and knowledgeable enough and present enough to stop the hurt and pain in my life, to give to me the very thing that he created to put into me instead of that stupid, evil idol that, that continually never satisfies. I'll tell you what, God is the satisfier. As Paul says in Romans 7, the power of God to take care of whatever that thing is, some kind of demonic lie, some kind of hurt, some kind of pain from the past, whatever that thing is that drives you to do that behavior, I want you to know it's not the behavior that's the problem. It's back to who's on the throne, who's telling you, that you need to take that drink. Who was telling me? Well, I can tell you who was telling me. There was a lie planted when I was a little kid that told me I wasn't good enough. There was a little a lie that said, this isn't sufficient. God's not sufficient here. He's not sufficient here. He's not sufficient here. Well, where do those lies come from? They don't come from God. God is not a liar, nor can he lie. It came from the enemy. And I believed them, and I put something on my throne that wasn't God. The throne of our hearts is designed for God and God alone. And when we put someone else on that throne, we are not going to ever get what God promises in his word, ever. We have to get that thing off the throne. The beauty is we have that kratos power, that power to wield the sword, to cut those cords of the dead flesh away. And through deliverance, through ministering, through counseling, through whatever the Holy Spirit shows us that we need. It may just be you sitting in a room for six hours, pouring your heart out to God with his word open on your lap, seeking him. I don't know, but he will deliver. I promise you this. I know this. He will deliver. He will make his word come alive. He is true to that word. He is El Shaddai, and he is sufficient. 
He is sufficient, and my favorite scripture, my grace is sufficient for you. Well, Mark, you couldn't end it on a better note. Do, in the waning moments, give out your website and how people can get into touch with you. Sure. Thank you, Sheila. Um, the, the best way to reach me is, is go to disciplejourney.us. And um, the other way to look at our discipleship material is through onestepdisciples.com. And that one is just the number one. It's onestepdisciples.com. Excellent. Thanks, Mark. Folks, join me tomorrow. I've got a great teaching. You're going to like it. We will see you tomorrow. Good night and God bless.